If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. While you're turning there, just uh, want to point out that uh, it's already been said, but Pastor Russ is, is currently on vacation. Uh, the next few weeks, uh, Pastor Henry and I will be doing some of the teaching here, and uh, we appreciate that opportunity. Uh, definitely encourage you to be praying for him and his family as they enjoy this uh, much-deserved time together as a family. So uh, lift them up in prayers. I've titled this morning's message, uh, Lessons Learned from a Blind Beggar, because I believe that this passage includes some incredible insight into how a person can move from spiritual blindness into having their eyes opened and receive an eternal relationship with God. But before we jump into that text, I want to invite you to join me uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for this day, the day that you made You made it for your glory. And God, I believe that your desire, as every other day, is to draw each one of us closer to you. God, I believe the power of your word to change lives. And I believe that the passage that we're going to look at this morning contains truths that can open spiritually blind eyes to see. And I pray for that this morning. If there are people here this morning who do not know you personally as their Savior, God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. And for those of us who do know you, God, I pray that you would use this word to draw us closer to you, to help us to know you better, to understand who you are, and to live our lives more in step with your Spirit, that we too would be like Jesus to those around us. Pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. As we pick up here today in Luke chapter 18, you need to know that that this is nearing the end of Jesus' life here on earth. He and his disciples are in the process now of making their way back to Jerusalem for the Passover. And this was going to be a journey that would lead to Jesus' death his final journey to Jerusalem. In fact, in the verses that immediately precede the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus tells his disciples about all the things that are going to happen to him when he arrives in Jerusalem. Let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. Luke says, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't grasp what was said. For whatever reason, the disciples were blinded to the truth and and they couldn't understand what Jesus had just told them. But Jesus, however, knew exactly what was coming. And yet, he continued to take one step after another and continue this march towards Jerusalem. Not only did he continue to march towards his death, But he continued to make the most of every opportunity along the way. You see, for Jesus, 
the most important thing was not looking out for himself or trying to preserve his own life. It was walking in obedience to his father and fulfilling the mission to seek and to save those who were lost. What a remarkable example for us on how we should live our lives, walking step by step in obedience to God, loving and serving others, and making the most of every opportunity. Before we jump again into this, the immediate text, beginning in verse 35, I want to take just a moment and just talk about sort of what's been happening in the rest of, of chapter 18. And I'll be brief. Um, I encourage you to read these passages this week. Go back and read all of chapter 18, um, because I obviously won't be able to touch on all of it. But I am going to be referring back to the events in chapter 18 as we make our way through this text today. So it's important for me just to cover that briefly. In verses 1 through 8, Jesus is teaching a parable about a persistent widow who continually brings her request before a judge. And finally, the judge decides to grant her request because, to be honest, she is wearing him out. She's bothering him. And so finally he says, I'm just going to give her what she wants, right? And the point of this parable is to encourage believers to pray continually and not lose heart. God hears the prayers of those who earnestly cry out to him. Then in verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells another parable. This parable is about two men who went into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day, and the common people looked up to them as religious leaders. The other was a tax collector. And tax collectors were like universally despised. Nobody liked the tax collectors. Well, when they prayed, the Pharisee was bragging about how much better he was than everybody else, including the tax collector, right? On the other hand, the tax collector simply bowed his head in humility and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector was justified and the Pharisee was not. One was relying on his own merit. The other simply cried out for mercy. In verses 15 through 17, we're told that the crowds of people were trying to bring their young children to Jesus, but the disciples were rebuking them for it. For whatever reason, the, the disciples didn't think it was, um, it was necessary for these children to come to Jesus. They didn't think that maybe these kids were worth his time. But Jesus pulls the disciples aside and he says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then in verses 18 through 30, a rich ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. He had made great efforts to be a good man. And he probably by most was considered a good man. He, he tried to follow all the commandments. But when Jesus asked him to sell his possessions and follow him, text tells us he became sad because his wealth meant more to him than following Jesus. And then Jesus tells the people who are standing there how difficult it is for those who are wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God. 
And the people are surprised by this, and they say, well, then who can be saved? I mean, if this good guy who, who, who tries to follow all the commandments, he's clearly been blessed by God with all this great wealth. If he can't be saved, then, then who can? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then in verses 31 to 34, which we just read, Jesus then tells his disciples all that's going to happen to him as he arrives in Jerusalem, a truth that they were unable to understand. They could not see it. We refer back to a lot of those parables and stories as we work through our text this morning. As we pick up now in verse 35, we read these words. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I know that a lot of you have probably heard me talk about this before, but for the benefit of those who have not, let me briefly just describe the geography of this area for you. The city of Jericho... um, was located about, is located about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And the city of Jericho has an elevation of, get this, over 800 feet below sea level. 800 feet below sea level. It's actually the lowest elevation for a city on the earth. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Jerusalem, on the other hand, just 15 miles away, has an elevation of about 2,500 feet above sea level. So the journey that Jesus and the disciples are making from Jericho southward to Jerusalem is actually a 15-mile climb of approximately 3,300 feet. That's why in verse 31... The text says that Jesus and the disciples are making their way, what? Up to Jerusalem. Even though they're traveling south, they're going up to Jerusalem. Sounds weird, right? But that's the geography. For me, I think it's fascinating. It also sounds exhausting. And as they drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, there's a couple things that you should know uh, and be aware of here. Luke says that Jesus meets this blind man as he was drawing near to Jericho. Okay, fine. Problem is, Matthew and Mark say that it happened as he was going out of Jericho. So, So which is it? Well, At the time of Jesus, there would have been the ruins of the old city of Jericho, which you may remember from the story of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, when the Israelites, their first conquest, they were marching around the city and the walls, God miraculously tore the walls down, right? Leaving Jericho would would uh, become a, a place of ruins. And then there was the new city of Jericho that was constructed, but it wasn't built over the old ruins. It was constructed less than two miles south of old Jericho um, on the way to Jerusalem. So at the time of Jesus, travelers making their way to Jerusalem would travel through the old city of Jericho, and then they would come to the new city of Jericho. By the way, you can visit both of these locations today. It's, I mean... People have bucket lists. 
It's my greatest desire. I want to go to Israel so bad. Um, but you can visit the new city of Jer uh, Jericho, and you can visit the ruins. Now, perhaps Jesus was leaving old Jericho on his way into new Jericho when he has this encounter with the blind beggar. Luke says it was on his way in. Matthew and Mark say it was on his way out. In this case, they would both be correct. The second detail that you should be aware of is that Matthew tells us that there were two blind men in this story, two, while Mark and Luke both focus on just one blind man. The most likely explanation for this is that Mark and Luke are probably focusing on the more prominent of the one, maybe the more vocal one. Mark actually goes so far as to tell us the blind man's name. It says his name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, the fact that Mark even bothers to, to name him probably means that Mark's original audience would have known who this man is. So he was the more prominent of the two. So... As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, we don't know a lot about this man, but what we do know is that he was blind and that he was begging. The truth is, people with disabilities in that culture had very few options. And as if it wasn't tough enough to be you know, blind... Most people in that day had a misguided belief that physical infirmities, like blindness, were a punishment from God for the sins of either the individual or his parents, right? This might be uh, bringing to mind a story from John chapter 9, where the disciples asked Jesus about a blind man. They said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They assume he's blind Either he or his parents must have sinned. Which was it? And Jesus says it was neither one. His blindness wasn't a punishment. It was for a purpose, that the works of God might be displayed in him. But you see, most people didn't see it that way. To most people, the blind, they were outcasts. They were marginalized. And so this blind man did what most blind people did. He begged he recognized his condition as a blind man. He humbled himself, and he relied fully on the mercy of others to meet his needs. And the first lesson that I want us to see from the blind beggar is this. We must recognize our condition. We need to recognize our condition. I think we are very misguided on this. I think even many of us who have called ourselves Christians for a long time don't realize just how bad our condition was prior to Christ. We think, well, I wasn't bad as most. No, you were awful. You were awful. You were spiritually blind. Spiritually speaking, every one of us is born blind. None of us are good enough to make it on our own. That's why God sent his son. If you could do it on your own, he wouldn't have had to send his son. The first step towards having our spiritual eyes open is to recognize our condition as sinners separated from God. Verse 36 says, In hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, the blind man, it, admittedly, he couldn't see, right? 
but he could hear just fine. He probably could hear better than most, right? And he recognizes that, that there's something different happening today. This isn't a normal day. This isn't an ordinary crowd. Something's happening. And so he begins asking the people as they're going by, what's going on? What's all the commotion? And they tell him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, by this point in Jesus' ministry, his reputation was widespread. Nobody had ever done the types of miracles that he had done. He had cast out demons. He had healed lepers. The deaf were healed. The blind were healed. Just a few weeks prior to this encounter, Jesus had raised Lazarus back to life after he had died in the town of Bethany, which isn't too far from Jericho. You know, when dead people are raised to life and blind people are restored to sight, word tends to travel pretty fast, right? It's not your everyday event, right? But you guys know that miracles by definition are not ordinary, right? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> Some people are like, well, does Jesus still do miracles today? I don't see a lot of miracles happening. Right. They are not ordinary, right? But I believe they do happen. So that's why there's this huge crowd following Jesus as he's making his way to Jerusalem. But here's a sad truth. Here's a sad truth. There were many in that crowd that day who had heard the stories. They had heard Jesus teach, but they were still blinded to who Jesus truly is. And it's the same today. It's the same thing today. Many people hear the stories that Jesus has done. They've heard his teachings. They've even seen the way that God has changed the lives of people that they know. But their eyes are still closed. They are either unable or unwilling to see Jesus for who he truly is, the Savior. In John's gospel, in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I love these verses. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, John's book, the Gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you understand that the Bible is an amazing gift to you from God. It's an amazing gift to you from God so that, as John puts it, we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. That's why he gave it to us. Many of you believe that, but maybe some of you aren't sure. Second lesson we learn from the blind beggar is this, that we must recognize Jesus for who he truly is. And here's the crazy irony in this story. The blind man who couldn't see saw clearer than most who Jesus truly is. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the miracles. And from what he had heard, he understood that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. How do I know that? Because of the way that he addresses Jesus in the next verse. They say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. 
They didn't call him the Messiah. They just said, Jesus, you know, the one from Nazareth, he's passing by. And this guy goes, Jesus of Nazareth? Really? Watch his response. Verse 38. And he cried out. You ready for this? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He screams it. There's an exclamation point there. We read it like, and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> screams it. He cries out to the son of David. This was a clear messianic title referring to God's promise that King David was going to have a descendant with an eternal throne, the Messiah. You can see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. You can also see it in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The blind man may have been physically blind, but his spiritual eyes had been opened to the reality of who Jesus truly is. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. And he is blown away at the fact that Jesus is passing by. The Savior, verse 37 says, was passing by. Now, what would you do? What would you do if you heard that news? You're a blind man. You were just told that Jesus, the one that you believe is the Messiah, the one that you know has the power to heal you of your blindness. What would you do? Cool. That's cool. Nice. Hey, do you have any change? Right? Can you spare some food? Right? No. What would you do? You would seize the opportunity, right? Because you really believe that the Messiah is passing by. And so verse 38, again, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, keep in mind that he's blind he doesn't know if Jesus has already passed by, if he is currently passing by, or if he's about to pass by, right? All he knows is that there is a crowd. There's a crowd and that the Messiah is in that crowd, right? And he is determined that he is going to get Jesus's attention, right? The Greek word that Luke uses for cried out literally means a loud cry or a shout expressing strong emotion, Matthew uses a different Greek word that describes crying out harshly, often with, get this, inarticulate and brutish sound. He didn't just yell. This is like a scream, a moan, an agony scream. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? This man is crying out to Jesus. The third lesson that we learn from this blind man is that we must call upon his name. We need to call upon his name. We need to cry out to the only one who is able to meet our need. The book of Romans, we're told in chapter 10, verse 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Saved. We need to cry out to Jesus. But notice what his cry was. Notice his cry. It was a cry for what? Mercy. It was a cry for mercy, which brings us to the fourth lesson that we can learn, that we must come to Jesus in humility. The blind man appeals to the mercy of God. He doesn't call out to God based on his own merits, right? Jesus, the son of David, 
Would you please just look at my track record? I'm a good man. Jesus, I don't deserve this to be born blind. He doesn't do that. He just says, Jesus, have mercy on me. He cries out for mercy. Just like the parable that we talked about at the beginning of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector cried out for mercy, right? And Jesus says that he was the one that was justified. Not the Pharisee who approached him based on his own merit. At the end of that parable, Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We need to come to Jesus in humility. We're not good enough. You don't have a leg to stand on. The only hope we have is that Jesus would be merciful to us. We deserve to be separated from God based on the sins that we've committed. God is holy. If it wasn't for God's mercy, we couldn't stand. Verse 39 says, And those who are in front, they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I love this. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me! Does it strike you as odd? Does it strike you as odd that the people who were following Jesus, his quote-unquote, followers are trying to prevent someone in great need from getting to Jesus. The, Jesus, the one that they know, they're following him because it's all the miracles he's performed, right? There's nobody like Jesus. They're like, man, we got to follow this guy, right? He's healed people. Yeah. Oh, shut up. Shh, quiet. They're yelling at the guy to be quiet when they know that Jesus has the power to heal him. It's crazy, right? We would never do that. <laughs> it is so indicting, isn't it? Yeah. Friends, it is possible for someone to spend lots of time near Jesus, to be around Jesus, to be around his followers, and still be so very far from the heart of Jesus. And my prayer, Fayette Baptist Church, is that we would be the type of followers who are bringing people to Jesus, not pushing them away. My prayer is that God would open our eyes to the marginalized, to the outcast, the people that society has forgotten. Jesus has a heart for the hurting, and so should we, right? Well, praise God. This blind man was not deterred by his quote-unquote followers. It says in verse 39 that he cried out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. Just a little side note. You can call this a bonus lesson if you want. This is a little side bonus. Do not let anyone or anything get in the way of your pursuit of Jesus. As you seek to grow in your relationship with Jesus, I promise you that there are going to be countless voices and countless vices that are going to try to keep you from getting closer to Jesus. Do not let them. Like the persistent widow that, we, that, we, that Jesus talked about, the parable, keep pursuing Jesus. Do not be deterred. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How hard are you pursuing after Jesus? How desperately do you want to know him? This blind man wanted to know Jesus more than anything in the world. Don't let anyone or anything get in the way of your pursuit of Jesus. Verse 40 says, this is exciting, and Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. <laughs> you can imagine what the crowd must have been like. <laughs> They're like, shut up, be quiet. You're going to unbother him. Don't, don't bug Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, bring that guy to me. Oh, that's what we meant. Yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs> we were just going to go get him. We were just going to go get him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus stopped. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Isn't it encouraging to know that Jesus hears our cries? And he cares. He cares. You know, when we recognize our condition, when we recognize who Jesus is and we call on his name and we approach him in humility, we can be confident that Jesus will hear our cries and he cares. Jesus is in, in I already said this, he's, in his, he's on this journey making his way to Jerusalem where he's going to die. To say that he has a lot on his mind would probably be an understatement, don't you think? And in the midst of what's an incredibly busy schedule, in the midst of an incredible emotional burden that he's carrying, Jesus stops. You see, Jesus is never too busy to make time for those who are truly seeking him. Never too busy. The cry of an honest seeker stops Jesus in his tracks. He stopped. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you, verse 41 says. Now, at first, when I read that, it, it kind of seems, seems like a strange question, right? I mean, isn't it obvious, Jesus? I could figure it out, you know? Like, anybody in the crowd there could have had that answer, right? Everybody knows what he wants. He's blind. He wants to see, Right? Clearly, Jesus knows, but he wants the man to speak it. He wants this man to articulate his need. Fifth lesson that we learn from the story is that we must confess our need to God. Of course, God knows your need. He knows the need of every single human being on the planet Earth. He knows that everybody needs his forgiveness. He knows that, but he, he wants you to confess that to him. You need to articulate that to him. I think there's a couple of reasons why God does this. First, I think that, that, that Jesus wants to build this man's faith. He wants to build the man's faith. The man has a lot of faith, but God wants to continue to build his faith. And I believe he wants to use this moment to build the faith of those who are around him. All those people in the crowd who are just trying to push him away. Jesus wants him to confess his need, and he wants him to be specific. Pastor Skip Heitzig says that, a specific request 
will bring a specific answer that will lead to a specific praise. Amen? Far too often, I think we find ourselves praying so generally that we wouldn't even know if God answered our prayers. Right? God, I just pray that you'd bless everyone, everywhere, in every way. Right? I mean, God wants us to communicate our specific needs to him. Oh, I don't need to tell him. God knows what I need. Yes, he does. And he commands you to tell him, right? Of course, our greatest need is to receive his forgiveness, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an awesome promise. But you need to confess that to him. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins? Have you ever asked him to do that? Well, he knows, he knows. No. Have you asked him? Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Let me recover my sight. Now that is a specific request. Notice, though, how the blind man addresses Jesus here. He calls him what? Lord. Lord. He is declaring at this moment that Jesus is the rightful master and ruler of his life. He's already declared his faith quite boldly, by the way, in that crowd, that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. That kind of bold proclamation could get him in a lot of trouble with a lot of people. Right? Now he submits to Jesus as Lord and with full faith in Jesus' ability to heal him, he confesses his need and asks Jesus to recover his sight. It's awesome. And verse 42 says, And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You see, by faith, the blind man recognized his condition. By faith, he recognized who Jesus is, the Messiah. By faith, he called upon Jesus' name. By faith, he came to Jesus in humility, crying out for mercy. By faith, he confessed his need to Jesus, his, his Lord, right? Which leads us to the sixth lesson that we learn from the story. By faith, we can receive God's grace and mercy. Amen. God poured out his grace and mercy on this blind man by restoring his sight. Did God have to do that? Did he deserve it? No. It was God's grace and mercy that he answered the cry of this blind man. And verse 43 says, And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. See, the truth is, the blind man received far more than his physical sight that day, didn't he? This man became a follower of Jesus, and he became a child of God. Text says in verse 43 that immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. 
The blind man's response leads us to our final lesson, that those who have received his grace and mercy will glorify God and follow Jesus. Compare the blind man's response here to the rich ruler that we talked about at the beginning of the message, right? The blind man immediately begins to follow Jesus. And you could say that the answer to the question that, that the people asked about who then can be saved is answered right here. Jesus is, is, is illustrating. It's amazing. I, I think this is just amazing. If you read all of, I encourage you, please go back and read all of Luke 18 and look at all of the answers and all of the ways that it's illustrated in this short story about the blind beggar, how he ties all of those parables and all those other, uh, other uh, stories together. Who can be saved is answered right here. Those who by faith will come to Jesus and by faith will receive his grace and mercy and by faith will follow him. Having our spiritual eyes opened, becoming a child of God, that's just the first step in what will be an amazing journey of following Jesus. As we worship him, and as we walk in obedience to him as our Lord, we are then given the opportunity to help others come to know him as well. The passage closes with these words. It says, all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. It's really the second miracle that took place that day, isn't it? I believe that there were people in that crowd who maybe didn't know Jesus really before this encounter, came away from this encounter and said, whoa, <laughs> I didn't understand. I didn't understand. As people watch you glorify God and follow Jesus, they too are going to give praise to God. Before we close, I need to address what is, I'm assuming, a likely question that many of you might have on your minds. And that is, does Jesus still heal like he did for the blind man? I've sort of already answered that earlier, but let me address it a little bit more fully. We're talking about physical healings. Can, does Jesus still heal people who are blind? Can Jesus still heal people from cancer? Can Jesus still make somebody who was born without the ability to walk, rise and walk? Can he still do that? Does he still do that? And I believe the answer is yes. I believe that God still performs miracles. And so you might say, well, then why hasn't he healed me? It's personal, isn't it? And I'm not here to say that there's an easy answer for that. I'm not here to say that, like, oh, this, oh suck it up, buttercup. No, that question is from a place of pain. And that question drives some people to abandon their faith, right? Why hasn't Jesus healed me? Why didn't he heal my father? Why didn't he heal my mother, my sister, my brother, my child, my wife? Why doesn't he heal me? I can only give you this answer. There are times when God's blessings are experienced through suffering, through infirmities. You might know the story of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, when... Uh, when interviewed about her blindness, she wrote like, like 800 hymns, you know, Blessed Assurance, I think is one of them. I mean, 
Fanny Crosby, when asked about her blindness, she said if I had, she, she became blind when she was just a few weeks old, I think, or six weeks old or something like that. She said if I had one request, it would be that I'd been born blind. Being blind was a gift for her. She said the first thing I'm going to see when I, when I receive my sight is the, the, the face of my Savior. And she said, I, I fear that if, if I had been born with sight, I might have been too distracted by all the things of the world to see my Savior the way I have. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes God's blessings are experienced through suffering, through infirmities. If your prayers for healing are not answered the way that you want, it doesn't mean that you just didn't have enough faith. I hate that. I hate that when I see that kind of teaching coming from like, you know, word of faith. Well, you just didn't have enough faith to be healed. Really? Hey, let, me, let me ask you this. Did Jesus have enough faith? Did Jesus have enough faith? Do you think Jesus had faith? Right? I mean, come on, right? It's Jesus. In the garden, Jesus prayed a prayer. He said, God, man, is there any other way? Is there, please, can you just take this cup from me? Right? Like the person crying out, God, would you just heal my child? Jesus said, God, would you do something else? I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through with this. And what does God say? It's the only way. It's the only way. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And that is the prayer of faith. Bring your request honestly before God and tell him what you want. Be specific. Ask for him to heal your loved one. Ask him to. But be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. And trust that he has a plan. He has a purpose for all of our suffering. God is going to use it all for his glory and to grow you and others. We can have confidence that God can do what we have asked, and we can have faith to trust him even if he doesn't. I'll close with this. God, God poured out his grace and mercy on this blind man that day. And the Bible teaches us that he wants to do the same thing for all who are spiritually blind. For those who are here today who have never entered into a saving relationship with Jesus, I just want to invite you to receive his grace and mercy today. Like the blind man who, who sees the opportunity as Jesus was passing by, I want to encourage you to seize this opportunity. You know, this was Jesus' final visit to Jericho. This is it. His last trip to that city. If the blind man had said, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, yeah, I'll catch up with him the next time he comes through. Next time. There would never have been a next time. Jesus was marching towards his death. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this in verse 2. He says, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never, if you're here today, obviously you're here today. For those who are here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you recognize your condition, 
you recognize that you are a sinner, that you are spiritually blind and separated from God. If you recognize who Jesus truly is, you've heard the stories, you've heard the miracles, you recognize that normal people don't do what Jesus did. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. If you are willing to call on his name and to approach him in in humility, based on not your merit, but on his mercy, if you're willing to confess your need for his forgiveness, then you can receive his grace and mercy, and you can become a child of God. You can have your spiritual eyes opened today. You can leave here glorifying God and following Jesus. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified, made right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Worship team is going to come up now. And uh, we're going to close our time together. But if Jesus is drawing near to you, just the way he was drawing near to Jericho and drawing near to this blind man, and you believe that he is calling you to take a step of faith today, I want to invite you to come after the song. We're going to close in the song. After that song, I want you to come down here and I want you to talk with me. Talk with me. Talk with Pastor Henry. Talk to some other person that's here today that you know is a follower of Jesus and tell them that you want to take a step of faith and become a child of God. That you want to leave this place glorifying God and following Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a gift. What a gift that you would draw near to us, that you would give us this opportunity. An opportunity to have our eyes open to, to who you are and the opportunity to become your followers, to become children of God that you give us this great privilege to follow you all the days of our life with an incredible promise that when we leave this world we'll spend all of eternity with you in heaven what a gift what a gift God I pray right now that for those who are sitting here right now and and they sense that your son is tapping them on their heart right now and saying please Cry out to me. Come to me. Receive my gift of forgiveness. I pray that they would do that today. That today would be a day of salvation. We pray this in the powerful name of your son Jesus, our Savior. Amen.